0: we're talking about salvation by faith. So I encourage you to invite you to open your Bible with me to Ephesians chapter 2 for a few minutes, and we're going to look at several passages. And let me just tell you from the very beginning, I know there's not a person in this room I don't love. I love all of you, but I know some of you don't agree with me on some of what I'm about to tell you. Not about faith, faith alone. You, you agree with me on that. Um. That's one of the solas of the Reformation, sola fita, uh faith alone. But you're not going to agree with everything else I'm going to say, and that's okay. You know, um, neither, neither of us have cornered all of the knowledge there is to have. And each of us has to study and come to the conclusion of what we believe the Scripture says and be convinced of it. And, What I'm going to share with you tonight, I'm I'm convinced of. We're talking tonight about salvation by grace through faith. It is by faith and by faith alone. I'm always bothered sometimes by the way I have, at times, invited people to come into a relationship with, with God through Jesus Christ and the way others have sometimes invited people to come into a relationship with God through Jesus Christ. I mean by that that sometimes we're not as clear as we ought to be about what it means uh, to be a child of God and how we become a child of God. We have a lot lot of different little phrases that we use, and I think that at least most of these phrases, I'm going to read you some here in a few minutes, most of these phrases, it's, it's implied what is needed for a person to be saved. It's implied in the phrase, but it's not clear in the phrase. And consequently, what I'm going to be working at and talking about tonight is being careful that we clearly explain the gospel so that we don't miss the key element uh, that's necessary for us to be born again. I I believe that, that there are people who are sitting in our churches today who are going to die and go to hell. Maybe even in churches like this one. Because they didn't understand faith alone. They didn't understand what it meant to trust Christ for eternal life. They were doing something else. They were told to do something else. And they followed what they were told to do. And they didn't really know they had to have faith. They just said a prayer. And maybe faith wasn't even involved. Sometimes we explain faith in a way that we turn it into works. Um, People put things before faith. You've got to be willing to acknowledge you're a sinner and turn from all of your sins and be willing not to do those sins anymore and trust in Jesus Christ. And so what is it? Acknowledge that I'm a sinner, turn from all my sins, be willing not to do them anymore and trust in Jesus? Or is it faith alone? Faith alone. Understand, I have never met anybody who's ever been born again or that is born again that doesn't know that they're a sinner and need the Savior. You have to, people have to understand what their situation is and what the solution is. And the way you move from over here, your situation to the solution is one word, it's Faith. Um, I've never known anybody that was born again that didn't know that, that didn't acknowledge that they were a sinner. So, you know, we're trying to make sure that their lives change. We want to make sure you don't do this anymore and you stop doing that and you quit this and you start doing that. And then you say, now you've got to believe. In my estimation, when you do that, what, what you're doing is what Paul talked about in Galatians chapter 5, you're perverting the grace of God. You are You have fallen from grace. That's what he means, fallen away from grace. In chapter 5, the Apostle Paul was talking about works, specifically circumcision, but about works. And he says, if you go back and try to be right with God through your works, you have fallen away from grace. When you move away from the faith alone message, that you are saved by faith and faith alone in Christ Jesus, and in Christ alone, and you're not careful, you're not careful about how you explain some of these pre-things. You can turn these pre-things into works that have to be done in order to believe. And when you've added something to faith, you cease to have faith, you cease to have grace. Now I'm doing this and doing that and doing this and doing this and this. No, no, no. There's one thing that saves us. That's faith in faith in Christ. And then there's people who add it on the other side. They add to faith on the other side. So I'm just going to tell you, this is where a lot of you won't agree with me. Not a lot of you. Some of you won't agree with me. I'm not a Calvinist. I'm not an Arminian. I wish you'd stop pushing me into one box or the other. If you mean by the perseverance of the saints, if you mean by the perseverance of the saints, you mean that they are eternally saved and eternally secure and are going to heaven, no questions asked, because they have believed in Jesus, I'm with you. But too often, the perseverance of the saints is not explained that way. It's explained this way. If you trust in the Lord Jesus Christ and you, you will persevere to the end of your life until you see Jesus. Now, now here's the question. Can any of you guarantee me that you're going to persevere to the last moment of your life? There's not anybody in here who can guarantee that because you don't know that for certain. You don't know what's going to happen a year from now or five years from now or 10 years from now. You don't know that. You, you, You have no knowledge of that. And so... On this end of things, you, you've turned it into—you've t- turned it into works. You've, you've done away with the grace. It's all of grace, and it's by faith. On this side of things, you, you've been saved by faith, but now you, you've lost the ability to have assurance because you don't know if you're going to persevere. I, I think I'm going to persevere. I believe I'm going to persevere. I hope I'm going to persevere. I, I'm trying to persevere. I want to persevere, but I'm not sure. I can't tell you 100% for sure that I'm going to persevere till I get. To the end of my life and i graduate out to heaven and you steal the ability of people to have the assurance of their salvation if if you get away from what the scripture teaches which is that we are saved by grace through what is it faith you're saved by grace through faith when you get away from the single requirement that's needed, that's necessary, and you start adding things on either side, you start creating problems. And sometimes we've all done it. I have done it. Not intentionally, but by not being clear that salvation is by grace through faith. Now look at Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. There isn't a more beautiful passage that lays this out for us than Ephesians 2, 8, and 9, right? For by grace, that's unmerited, undeserved, unearned. You can't do anything for it. There isn't any, anything, any work that you have to do for it. It's unmerited grace. For by grace, you have been saved. Let's stop there for a moment. What does he mean Saved. You know, for a lot of time, a lot of period of my my life as a Christian, I read the word saved always as referring to eternal life. You're you're saved, meaning that you're delivered from eternal death and separation from God. But I've come to understand over the years of studying the Bible and, and digging deeper that a lot of times you find the word saved, and it's not talking about eternal life at all. It's talking about the temporal life. You're saved from something in the temporal life. God saves you from it. But on this occasion, we know that the word saved is a word that refers to our eternal life. When he says, by grace you're saved, by God's unmerited favor. This all started with God. You got that? It all started with God. He didn't look down and say, oh man, look at Dave. He's not too bad. I think I'm going to give him something. He didn't do that. It's, it's all by the grace of God. There is none of it that's not a part of the grace of God or because of the grace of God. For by grace are you saved. What, what does he mean saved here? Well, just back up a few verses. He tells you in, in this passage, uh, back at verse 4. We'll just start there. You could go back to verse 1. Verse 4, but God, who is rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead, in trespasses. He's talking about our unsaved life. When we're dead in trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. So what does it mean to be saved? He says at the end of verse 5, by grace you have been what? You've been saved what does it mean? And raised us up together, made us sit together in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, that in the ages to come, he might show the exceeding riches of his grace in his kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. And so it's by grace. It all starts with God. It's all because of God. We would all be lost forever, eternally, had God not in his grace reached out to us. There's nothing about us that's attractive. It's all about the goodness and the greatness and the, and the graciousness of God that saves us, makes us alive, brings us into the family of God, gives to us the gift of eternal life, reserves a home for us in heaven that makes us his children. That, that's all a matter of what it means to be saved. By grace, all God saves us, that turns us into his children, gives us eternal life, assures us of a home with him, reserves us a place there, keeps us until we see him face to face. And he says, all of that is accomplished how? For by grace have you been saved, what? Through faith. Through faith. Nothing added to it. There's nothing taken from it. There's no preliminaries There's nothing that goes on the post-end of things. You receive the grace of God that saves you by faith. You trust in Jesus Christ for eternal life, and God saves you by His grace. Period. Nothing added to it. Nothing taken away from it. You notice verse 9, it's not of works. Not of works. And why is that necessary that it's not of works lest anyone should boast lest anybody should boast can you imagine what coming to a church service would be what it would it it would be like if if we came to church and we were contributing to our salvation in some way oh what's wrong with you i I, i'm i'm more saved tonight than you are Can, can you imagine being in a church like that I can't imagine being in a church like that. So that it's clear. Salvation. We believe salvation is by grace through faith. Period. Nothing added to it. Nothing taken away from it. I understand uh, we're not going to get into the decrees. We're not going to get into a lot of those issues that are theological issues i not going to get into that. We're just going to let the scripture speak for itself. Here are some of the phrases, some of the evangelism statements that I have used, or I've heard others using. When I'm uh, driving around, I have SM or X What is it? SMXMS so have Serious Radio. Is that what it's called? Serious Radio. I think it's called Serious. They have Serious Radio, and they have, they have the Family Talk Channel. And I listen when I'm in my car. I don't. I don't listen to music. I listen to the preaching. There's lots of preaching. I got one channel that's just the Billy Graham channel. He just preaches all day long. I thought he was gone to heaven, but he's right there on the radio. He's still preaching. Um, And and I I listen. That's that's what I like to do. But I hear the presentation of the gospel. For instance, some of these are statements. Again, I want to say, I'm not saying a person who who follows this advice or who says this isn't sincere and isn't sincerely saved but you can see the confusion that we create by adding things to the description that the bible gives to us about how we're saved for instance we say you got to give your life to christ well what does that mean to give your life to christ i hear that a lot from evangelists on the radio if you want to give your life to christ call this number want to give your life to Christ. Now, I think under most circumstances, what they mean is exactly what we're talking about. They're, they're wanting this person to trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. But you realize that you probably could go to a place and give your life to a company and not believe in the product? Hmm? You could go to a company and not, you could work at a company, you could give your life to a company and not believe in that product? such that it's a little bit confusing because it doesn't distinguish and delineate the importance of faith. Just give your life to Christ. Here's another one. Surrender your life to God. Surrender your life to God. Again, I think under most circumstances, people understand they've been given enough uh, pre-evangelism to understand that what you're doing at that moment is you're trusting in Jesus. But do you understand surrendering your your life to God? People out in the foxhole, in the middle of war, God, if you'll just save me, I surrender my life to me. If you'll just save me from this battle, let me live, God. Is that salvation? Is that eternal life? Where's Jesus in that? Where's faith in that? Believing Jesus for what? You've got to believe your, your, your faith has to have an object. The object has to be Jesus. And you've got to understand that what it is that Jesus gives you is what? Eternal life. Are you with me? It gives you eternal life. And so we, we say surrender your life to God. Okay, I understand what you mean, but it could be confusing sometimes. How about this phrase, invite Jesus into your heart. I've used that. I'm guilty of using that. I've used that. You you'll, haven't heard it in the recent years, but I, I'm guilty of using that. Invite Jesus into your heart. Most of the time, people understand what you're doing is you're believing on Christ. That's what you're doing at that moment in your life. But I heard about a guy that invited Jesus into his life, and a week later, he was still practicing the Baha'i faith. And when he was asked why he was still doing that, he said he invited Jesus into his life because he wanted all the prophets there. That's a problem. Are y'all with me? That's a problem. Or, or here's a phrase that I, I hear a lot. Take up your cross and follow him. Now, I, I believe that's a Bible verse. So I believe that. But you've got to understand there's a distinction between salvation and discipleship. They should go like this. Salvation should lead you into discipleship with Christ. But you, you understand you can, you can be a believer and not be a disciple, and you can be a disciple and not be a believer. You so say, how can you say that, Pastor? Well, Judas was a disciple. But Judas wasn't a believer in Jesus. and died and went to his own place. That's an eternal hell, by the way. Or th- think about on the other side, Nicodemus or Joseph of Arimathea, were, had become, they became believers in Jesus. Mm-hmm. They were secret believers. Nobody really knew it. You remember in John chapter 7? They want to arrest Jesus and nobody wants to take him under arrest. And uh, the, the uh, Sanhedrin is not happy about it. Why, why aren't you taking him under arrest? And that, th- some of those that were supposed to go said, I mean, he seems so genuine, so real. How, how could we do that? And who stands up on behalf of Jesus in his defense? Nicodemus. And who is it at the crucifixion that comes and asks for the body? They come out of the shadows. To become disciples. They were believers before this. They come out of the shadows to become disciples of Jesus. Who were the two men? Nicodemus and Joseph of Arimathea. You can be a believer and not be a disciple. It shouldn't be that way, but you can be. And you can be a disciple and not be a believer. So you have to be careful when you talk about taking up your cross and following him. Listen, listen to the difference. Listen to the difference. I'm going to read to you two verses that, that have this phrase in it about taking up your cross. Matthew 16, 24. Then Jesus said to his disciples, if anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. Or in Matthew 4:19, And he saith to them, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. So let, let me ask you a question. To be saved, do we have to want to come after him? Do we have to deny ourselves, take up our cross, and go follow him? Not for salvation you don't. For salvation you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. And as a believer in Christ, you take up your, his cross, your cross, and you follow him as a disciple. What is, what is the... the the Great Commission? Go and what? Make disciples. That implies that they've already believed. Make disciples. How do you make disciples? Baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I've commanded you, and lo, that's why I don't fly, and lo, I'm with you always. Listen to two verses that are about salvation. Those previous two were about discipleship. Listen to the two about salvation. John 3.16. Whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Do you see the difference? In the discipleship passage, you've got a desire to come, you've got to deny yourself, you've got to take up your cross, you've got to follow me. What is it? Faith or not? Well, in John 3:16, if, if you believe. You don't perish. You have everlasting life. Or think about John 3.36. He who believes in the Son, what? Has everlasting life. When you're reading your Bible, you have to be careful to distinguish. There's passages when He's telling you how to be saved, and there's passages where He's telling you how to be His disciple. Now, a disciple needs should be a believer, but as we've seen with Judas, you can be a disciple and not be a believer. And a believer shouldn't live in the shadows, a believer should come out of the shadows and live as a disciple. But sometimes it takes a while for people to do that. The most obvious problem with using the phrase follow Jesus to invite people to salvation is that it implies continual good works are required. What do I have to do to follow Jesus? And someone could answer. You have to read your Bible, pray, go to church, share the gospel, blah, 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 ex, ex, you know, all these extra things. And those are works That disciples do, but they're not the means of eternal salvation. Some of you, your minds, I'm blowing your mind. Our pastor's been a heretic for 40 years. By the way, I went back through my notes. went back through my sermon notes. Is this what I've been preaching? That you're saved by faith and faith alone. Is this what I've been preaching? I can't go all the way back. I don't have notes all the way back. I went back many years back. By the way, I went back and I saw some sermons. I'm sorry that y'all had to hear those sermons. They were really bad. If they looked as bad, if they sounded as bad as they looked on paper, they were really bad, and I'm sorry. I went back. I've been been preaching the same message for 40 years. You're saved by faith and by faith alone. I want you to be a disciple. I want you to follow Jesus. I want you to take up your cross. I I want you to give yourself to him. I want you to surrender your life to him. That's discipleship. What a person who doesn't know Christ needs to know is that you put your faith in Jesus, and Jesus will give you eternal life. He'll save you this moment by faith, nothing else. Or there are those who say, well, here's another phrase, make Jesus Lord of your life. This goes back to the Lordship salvation idea. Make Jesus Lord of your life. Again, I I think probably there are a lot of people who just took that to mean I'm believing in Jesus. That's what I'm doing. But it's confusing because it doesn't include anything related to belief. Where Where did you tell them to believe? When did you tell them to trust in Christ? Or how about this one? turn from all your sins, turn from all your sins, and you'll be saved. Really? Uh, I believe in repentance. I believe it's a change of mind, first of all. And repentance may put you into a position where you are ready to believe, but repentance doesn't save anybody. It is believing in Jesus Christ that saves us from our sins. So are you with me? It's, it's, it's believing in Jesus Christ that saves us from our sins. Think, think for a moment about the Ninevites. God sent Jonah to the Ninevites, right? And he preached repentance. If you don't repent, God's punishment is coming on you people. From one end of the city to the other end of the city. And they did what? They repented. Did they get saved? No. No. But they were spared the judgment of God on their city for a hundred years. A hundred years later, they're back doing the same things they were doing before, and God God has to punish them. But they weren't saved eternally because they turned from those sins. They were saved temporarily from the judgment of God on their city for what they were doing. By the way, I think if America doesn't turn from her sins, God's judgment may well fall on this nation where we're headed. That's not, that nothing to do with eternal salvation. That has to do with his temporal judgment on a nation who turns its back on God. Make Jesus Lord of your life. Turn from all your sins. When people tell me I've got to turn from all my sins, I usually respond by saying, I don't even know all my sins. Do you? Um, my neighbor that used to live behind us his name was Jesse. His wife was Mary. When we moved into the house... By the way, we, we don't live like some of y'all out where there's lots of land and property. We're living in the back door of our neighbor. I mean, you know, in the morning, you have to, you have to get dressed or, you're, you know, you, just, you can't stand there at the door or the windows because the neighbor's like right there. You know what I'm saying? So, that, that Jesse and, and Mary... We're li- living behind us there. Uh, what year would that have been, honey? Yeah. Well, we moved over there in 1990. Okay, so sometime early 90s. So I began, Mary was already a believer, I began witnessing to Jesse. They ended up coming to our church. Uh, she became a member of our church. He eventually, as you're going to hear in a moment, becomes a member of our church. But I could not get Jesse. To respond to the gospel. I could. It was like the man I told you about this morning. I couldn't get him to respond to the gospel. I couldn't get him to say, Jesus, I trust you as my Savior for the gift of eternal life. I couldn't get him to do that. It went on and on for weeks and months and on and on. Finally, I just asked him when I said, Jesse, what is keeping you from believing on Christ for eternal life? What's keeping you from that? He says, I like to go to the dog track and gamble. I like to go to the dog track and gamble. I looked at him and I said, Jesse, going to the dog track isn't what's going to keep you out of heaven. Not believing in Jesus is what's going to keep you out of heaven. And Jesse finally received Christ, trusted in Christ as his Savior. We baptized him right here. He and his wife Mary came to church. They've been gone to heaven for years uh, been gone to heaven for a long time. Came to church here. Here's the amazing thing it wasn't but a few weeks that Jesse wasn't going to the dog track anymore. <laughs> he wasn't gambling his money anymore. He wasn't doing those things he was doing before. We get the cart before the horse. We, we talk to people, they, they got to understand their sinners. People need to know their sinners. I understand that. Turn from all your sins? Do you know all your sins? Would you be willing to turn from everything that I could point out that is a sin? Is that what salvation is dependent on? No, your salvation is dependent on what you do with Jesus. Do you trust in Jesus for eternal life? That's the question. I believe that Jesus is my only hope of getting to heaven, that what he did on the cross of Calvary was pay the penalty for my sins, that he was buried, that he rose again, he ascended back to the Father, he lives today, and I come to Jesus. He's my only hope. Jesus, I trust in you. I'm I'm going to heaven not because I'm a preacher or because uh, I'm a... Good guy like you know I'm, I am. <laughs> I'm going to heaven because I trusted Christ as my Savior. Here's another phrase. We're not going to finish this tonight, by the way. Here's the phrase, receive Christ as Lord and Savior. Again, I think people understand generally what that means. I think most of us have done enough pre-evangelism to help them to see that what we mean by that is you're believing in Christ, you're trusting in Christ for eternal life. But a Roman Catholic could hear that same phrase and say, I receive Christ every time I receive communion. You realize that? When they go for mass, they go forward, they take the body and the blood. And that bread and that wine... By transubstantiation, become literally the body, supposedly, and the blood of Jesus, supposedly. So that a Catholic can say, Well, I receive Christ every Sunday. I receive Him every Sunday. That's that's not eternal life. Eternal life is entrusting in Jesus Christ, in Jesus Christ alone. You could have somebody say, Well, I I obey the commands. You've got to obey the commandments. It's sort of a dumb one, but got to obey the commandments well that's not what galatians 3 says it said the promise is by faith in jesus christ that it might be given to those who believe that he'll give to you the eternal life by believing or here's one accept christ as your personal savior i've said it hundreds of times in the past and sometimes i'll say it again If I've done enough work with somebody that they understand that what I mean by that is you're asking Christ, you're trusting Christ to save you. Yeah, that's what I'm asking you to do. Accept Christ as your personal Savior. I want you to trust in him. I want you to rely on him. He is your only hope. But you realize that salvation really isn't about us accepting Christ. It's about Christ accepting us. You follow that? Or here's one, commit your life to Jesus. Well, What does that mean? Commit your life to Jesus. Let's just take that one for a moment. The word commit can mean at least two different things. One is it could mean a promise that you're going to do something for someone else, and the other is that you're going to entrust something to someone else. You're going to do something for someone else, or you're going to entrust something to someone else. If you mean you're going to do something for Jesus to be saved, you no longer have grace. if you mean you're going to entrust something to Jesus Christ, your eternal soul, that's faith. That's believing in Jesus. He's my only hope. He's the only way I can have eternal life. And if a person understands commit to mean entrusting his eternal destiny, that's that's a statement that's correct. But you can see the difficulty with these statements. Now, I'm not not criticizing because I've used some of these, and I'll probably use some again. The, The point of this is it it's a matter of believing in Jesus Christ that saves us. Uh, my youth pastor, one of my two, two youth pastors, was a man by the name of Mike Bovey. Mike ultimately went to the mission field and um, in Indonesia. Uh, went to the mission field in Indonesia, he and his wife. And uh, God used them in a great way. But Um, If you sat down with Mike and you said, Mike, when were you saved? He would say, I don't really know the exact moment I was saved. How do you know you're saved, Mike? Because I know that I have believed in Christ for eternal life. He is who I'm trusting for eternal life. I'm not trusting anyone else or trying to do anything else for eternal life. I'm trusting in Jesus for eternal life. He died a few years back. He's in heaven. Why? Because he trusted in Jesus Christ. Not, again, I know, I know for, for some, you're, you're hearing things that are so opposite of what some theologians teach. I get it. But I just have to stake out where I stand. And I stand that salvation is by faith and by faith alone, in Christ and in Christ alone alone. And it's only by the grace of God that we can be saved and be delivered from the punishment of our sins. It's only by the grace of God that that could take place. I I think if you're talking to me about one word, if I were to to ask you, give me one word that best describes who we are. What would the one word, don't say it out loud, What would the one word be? Well, we're Christians. That was a derogatory term. Or we're disciples. Well, John had disciples. Other teachers had disciples. What are we? We are, it starts with a B. We are believers. We believe that the death of Jesus Christ was sufficient to pay for the penalty of all of our sins, that he rose again and lives today forever to make intercession on our behalf. And he is the only Savior. Eternal life doesn't come to me any other way than through Jesus Christ. It's not because I'm a Baptist preacher and going to a Methodist church or going to a Presbyterian church. It's because Jesus saved me from my sins. I got no other hope. I I get to the gates of heaven... I don't pull out a credit card and say, how much is it going to cost me? The only ticket I got is Jesus Christ. It's the only way I can get into heaven. Ninety-nine times in the Gospel of John. Write it down. Think about it. That's why we printed the Gospel of John. Ninety-nine times in the Gospel of John, the word believe is used. It is the gospel that he intended for us to use like a track. Listen to it, John 20, 30, and 31. And truly, Jesus did many other signs in the presence of his disciples which are not written in this book, but these are written. Why did did he write these in this book of John? These are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you may have life in his name. It's believing one want missionary i knew don bungy or bunge excuse me he wrote a little booklet and he's talking about the problem with a lot of evangelism the title of the booklet i thought was pretty pretty clever what happened to the word belief commit your life surrender your heart give yourself to uh, be a disciple of all the things we say and somehow we leave out the most important word that people understand You want to be saved, you got to be saved by faith. You say, well, faith is a gift from God. Yeah, I I totally agree with that. What I don't agree with is that faith is an irresistible gift given to some people and withheld from everyone else. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. Salvation is available to anyone and to everyone. Everybody can be saved. The death of Jesus. Christ wasn't for some and not others. The death of Jesus was sufficient for all of mankind's sins. I will never, I will never accept limited atonement. I will never accept limited atonement. I'm not going to redefine how I understand words in the Bible. Whosoever means whosoever. The world means the world. Not a little segment of the world, not just a few of the soevers. It's everybody. That's why we're getting the gospel message out. That's why we're trying to take it as far as we can as a church. Why every church should be doing that. We don't have a sin problem. Jesus died to pay the penalty of the sins of the world. We have a son problem. The sins have been dealt with. Now the question is, what are you going to do with the son? And I'm talking to you like... I'm evangelizing you but what are you going to do with the son are you going to are you persuaded that Jesus is the Christ the son of the living God that in him is eternal life and the only hope of ever going to heaven Jesus is your only way Well that's what I believe I want people's lives to change And I believe the grace of God is what changes them. But until you've experienced the grace of God, you don't know what real change is by the grace of God. This is a Southern Baptist pastor. He wrote an evangelism book. He he entitled it Believe Plus Nothing. I sort of like that. Listen to it. Acts 16, 31. Talking to the Philippian jailer. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you shall be saved. Believe, that's what he said. John, eight, uh, John 6, 47, he who believes in me has everlasting life. John eleven twenty six. 26, whoever lives and believes in me shall never die. you got to be alive to believe in him. Well, you'll believe in him after death, but I'm talking about to go to heaven. You've got to believe in him while you're living. Or Genesis 15, 6, that's repeated in Romans 4 and Galatians 3, Abraham believed God and it was accounted to him for righteousness. Or Romans three twenty eight, a man is justified by faith apart from the deeds of the law. Or Acts ten forty three, whoever believes in him will receive remission of sins. Or Ephesians 2, 8, for by grace are we saved through faith. And that not of ourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. We are saved because of God's grace It has nothing to do with our worthiness. It has to do with his greatness and his grace extended to us that enables us to be saved, to be made alive, to be made a child of the living God, to have eternal life, to have a reservation in heaven, to become a part of the family of God, to be saved from eternal punishment to a place of eternal joy. For by grace are you saved, Through faith. Don't add anything to it. I just refuse to add it. Matter of fact, in recent years, you, you hear me trying to make sure I'm clear. You hear me say it like this. It's not in the magic of the words you say. Have you heard me say that? It's not in the magic of the words you say. I can say some words that are different than the words you say. It's not in the magic of the words you say. It's in the attitude of your heart to trust, to believe on Jesus Christ. Because I think I probably could introduce you to some people that have prayed a prayer but never believed. And I know I can introduce you. I've already told you about one, Mike Bovey, who believed but never said a prayer. For with the heart we believe under righteousness. With the mouth, we confess it. We want everybody to know about it. It's with the heart that we believe and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. Maybe you have a question. but by, by the way, you, you, don't, you don't have to agree with me. Well, you sort of do. You sort of do in the sense that we believe that it's faith alone that saves us. You don't have to agree with me about Reformed theology or about Calvinism or any of those things. You can disagree with me on that. We've been arguing that since Calvin. <laughs> They've been arguing that since Calvin. You realize that, don't you? So we're not going to settle it on this side of heaven. You have to study it out for yourself and come to a conclusion. But this is a church that we want to be careful with what we say and we teach people that It's believing. It's believing. I, I, I'm, I'm four minutes over. I'm five minutes over. But I'm going to finish tonight so I don't have to come back to it next week. So give me this extra minute. Please, 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 Don't ever. I don't mean that as a threat. I'm just I'm expressing rhetorically how I feel. Don't ever come to me and say, that's easy believism. The man I quoted this morning, Dr. Wang Grudem, Has a book against free grace. I don't take everything anybody says and take it all wholeheartedly and believe everything they say. I try to study it out for myself and make sure I understand what the scriptures say and come to a conclusion in my own study. I agreed with him about divorce in that little phrase in such cases. I disagree with him in his book about free grace. He talks about easy believism. That is so offensive to me. It cost Jesus Christ his life. His resurrection from the grave to make it possible so Elijah or Eliana or some other child can believe and become a child of the living God. Yeah, it's simple. Yeah, it's for everyone. It isn't easy because Jesus paid it all to make it possible.